Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. Hi, I'm Nick Carman, host of the Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast. Now, I've got something a little different for you in store, uh, particularly over the next few episodes. Now, I've worked for the same employer for 14 and a half years, so it may be that has something to do with why I look with real admiration and awe of the people who reject the safety and security of working for one employer and go ahead and start something new, something all of their own. And it's made me wonder, within this pod, are sharing enough stories of people who are doing just that, so, something that's been of interest to me is, anecdotally at least, I can yet to back the figures up, are everything I seem to hear over the past sort of 18 months are great people with very secure, uh, fantastic sort of opportunities are leaving that safety and security behind and going it alone, working with co-founders, setting something new up. And so it started me thinking, and I've done a little bit of digging. So, Using Companies House, I've been able to have a quick look in terms of the, the number of businesses registered. And using some, some finger-in-the-air sort of guesswork, it suggests that by March 2020, there will be a 12% rise in new company registrations. And that will be the biggest registration leap they have ever had before. So what's happening? Why are people suddenly now increasingly more likely to set something new up? So I want to dedicate some serious airtime then to those who have shunned a career in someone else's company and made the decision to start something new. Now, I've been asking them questions around the ideas of what are they doing? What drove them to that decision? Why did they realise or when did they realise this, this risk was paying off? And what's been their greatest hurdle? So over the next few weeks, as you listen in and tune into these, I'm going to have three new guests for you each episode. And please let me know what you think and how I'm getting on. So without further ado, let's get today's guests introduced. Hi, I'm Ed Ellerington and I'm the founder of Package Living Limited. I set up Package Living Limited in 2018, having previously been the acquisitions director at Granger PLC where I spent the last kind of decade of my career working predominantly in build to rent, but across the residential space. I set the business up when I was 31. I'm now, I'm now 34. And I was, I was, I suppose, lucky in a way that I, I partnered quite early on with a, with a, an investor in Palmer Capital, which brought with it some, some really kind of decent firepower into the UK, but didn't necessarily have that that kind of management and entrepreneur who wanted to kind of grow a build to rent business per se so so that's the part i brought and but i but i partnered with the the right capital and the right people to to bring that business on so my background prior to setting up package living was as acquisitions director at granger and my my to date to that point i'd actually been working in banking for a number of years before kind of joining granger itself but within that banking career i'd had quite an entrepreneurial journey in the sense that I, I'd worked in the kind of private equity arm of Bank of Scotland, which was effectively backing entrepreneurs in the real estate industry. 
And so that kind of entrepreneurial piece had always been in my blood. And actually, prior to becoming into banking, I'd set up my own business at quite a young age at 15, which which had been, as is often the case when you're a young entrepreneur, quite successful. And so I'd seen I'd seen some of the kind of processes and, and structures about how good entrepreneurs operated. And what I really wanted to do was then learn more around the corporate side to effectively end up coming back to an entrepreneurial um, place, which is exactly where I went with package living, and and residential UK residential. When I left banking, um, and I did so in about two thousand nine, was still kind of I suppose the the unloved um, side of real estate. It was very different to commercial real estate, which had become so much more corporate. Um, and I felt there was real opportunity in that residential space to to institutionalize the product and create a, a better a better kind of living space for people in the UK um, and Granger was at the very forefront of that when I when I joined and a really exciting place that was kind of moving from you know, almost a, a family run business into into an institutional business as a FTSE 250 and I kind of saw that journey through and by the time I'd left it had become a full you know investor institution but I'd also through my own time seen the kind of successes and pitfalls of that and was ready then to kind of, in my mind, move into into kind of creating a new entrepreneurial business in in package living. Hi, I'm Ben Orchard Smith, one of the founders here at Tez Real Estate. Uh, we are a central London-based leasing and development consultancy business. Um, we're just coming up to our two-year uh, anniversary at the start of October. We launched in response to the way that the the workspace landscape has changed immeasurably in the last three or four years. It felt this new landscape required a refresh of the agency model and in order to do that we felt that we really needed to start start afresh as a business and, and as a result myself and two co-founders came up with this idea to to launch a brand new business unfortunately uh that was around the, the time of covid but i think uh, whilst it's thrown up a number of uh, challenges for us um, in hindsight i think it's safe to say it's probably made our business and our business model more relevant in uh, in the long term we are a um, an agency that specializes predominantly in in landlord focused work um, but we do a lot of occupier uh, work as well it gives us a real clear overview of of the market from from both sides of the fence and it's been really interesting to see not only the way that that landlords have had to react and the advice that we have had to give them in order to to react to the market but also what occupiers are saying um, from their side of the fence and to really get a good understanding of how an occupier views their workspace now, how an occupier is likely to view their workspace in the next six months, and also to pick up and discuss in greater detail the trends that we expect to see showing their face in the in the coming years and really about future-proofing our clients' buildings you know, for that next wave of, of you know, the flexible revolution. Hello, everybody. My name is Angelica Donati, and I followed quite a twisted path to get to the point I am now in life. Um, I'm originally Italian. I was born in the United States, and I spent a good part of my life living and working and studying in the UK. Um, following a degree from the London School of Economics, I started off working in financial services. I worked in the city of London at Goldman Sachs on the trading floor for foreign exchange sales for Southern Europe. 
Following that, I achieved an MBA from Said Business School at Oxford University. I then carried on working in London for a few years, and then I decided that it was time to come home. It was time to focus on my family business, and I moved back to Italy. However, as everybody who's worked within their family family companies will have found out sooner or later, these roles can sometimes be a bit tight, tight for you. And so I quickly started looking for ways to be able to build up my own business within our, our within our overall business strategy. And I found I founded the Nati Mobiliare Group or DIG, um, in short as a lot of people call it, in late 2012. Um, it's a development firm which develops in Italy in the US, uh, specifically New York, and in the UK, aka in London. Um, over the course of the past few years, I also co-founded the PropTech startup. I became very heavily involved in everything technology and innovation for real estate and construction. And I'm currently an advisor for several venture capital firms and a uh, private equity fund, which invests in PropTech. And I also write a column for Forbes on the topic of innovation in real estate and construction. Okay, let's get into it then. Why have these guests chose to walk a different path than many of their peers and made the decision to start a new company? So I'd always had this entrepreneurial streak in in my life. I'd, I'd, I'd started to say quite young as an entrepreneur at, at 15 and, and it had been quite a successful business. And I guess not being bitten too young is 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 a dangerous thing because you you don't have the failure and you only see the success, but actually you get the freedom quite early on. But I realised, you know, in my kind of early twenties that that being that serial entrepreneur probably wasn't workable, and so I almost went full circle into a very corporate business in a bank. But I did say because I realised that that I needed to learn corporate structures I needed to understand how institutions kind of thought operated and acted and when the kind of the GFC came along I moved again into into what was quite an entrepreneurial space in residential but but effectively in a, in a corporate business and and I felt all the way through that that I was trying to stay close to to what were exciting new businesses and and entrepreneurial thinking but but ensuring that I was seeing the kind of the governance side, the structure side, the institutional part of business. And I guess by the time I got to you know my early 30s, I'd felt that I'd I'd seen enough. And actually I I'd gathered enough of those skills to actually go back and do what I really wanted to do, which was which was run my own business. And I felt at that, you know, that age of kind of, you know, late 20s, early 30s, I had all the drive and and kind of you know, self-belief, I suppose, in a way to to do it. But I was also young enough to to kind of get on and, and create something that I hoped would be successful and throw everything at it. Um, and so that why was always I didn't want to become, you know, an, an institutionalized individual. And and I think, you know, when you get to your late 20s, early 30s, you often have that decision to make, whether you stay on the career path um, and you continue to build in a corporate place or you you do go it alone, and and you know there's no doubt that that going it alone is a big is a big risk and a big jump, but it but it pays dividends if you get it right, and and I felt that I was ready to to take on that challenge. I think we'll between me and my two business partners, we'll probably have our all our own slight different answers to this question. We're all at <laughs> slightly different stages of our, 
I guess, career and um, and growth in that regard. Certainly from my perspective, you know, it felt like that risk, that risk was not even not evenly balanced at all. Actually, that risk was was heavily outweighed by the kind of the thought and the the kind of the feeling that what we were setting out to build was was really important and there was a you know a real problem out there that, that needed solving it felt like it was a good time to to make that step and that between between the three of us we had the knowledge the expertise and i guess the the regard in the market that, that we could go and do something between the three of us i think it was really important that in a world where and again, in a world where that has changed dramatically in the last two years, um, we really felt that the retrofitting our previous firms was was not the best way to go, and that in order to really be able to sell and advise our clients properly, we needed to step out of that comfort zone and build something that was destined, you know, build something that was was set up in the first place to to advise our clients on this new and very different working landscape i think it's it's very easy for us to to talk about that you know we live and breathe that every day and i think that's something that we wouldn't have had by you know either sticking where we were or or, or going to perhaps join another one of the the big consultancies i think that whilst real estate is one of the biggest asset classes if not the biggest asset class we have a tendency to move very slowly in this in this market, and it was only in the last couple of years, with the introduction of the likes of WeWork, the Office Group, just to name a few, that that rate of change and has really accelerated. And we felt that in order to properly react and react at the speed that we felt was necessary, the only way to do that was to be, you know, create a small, nimble, well-informed team of of agents that were were able to react and put things into place and as i said i felt like in order to to do that best we needed to really believe in what we were doing step out of our comfort zone and make the jump i think we always felt that we had a we always had a principle that was going to ground the business and um i think without that you know we we may have have thought twice about about making the step but i think having that principle you know at the forefront of our minds throughout the process gave us that ability to i guess refocus and re-energize um, around that concept and i think that's really helped us to build a business with a real focus and a real purpose and i'd like to think that the two years into that journey we are you know well on our, our way to achieving that um, given the <laughs> The hurdles that have been thrown at us in the last 24 months or so. When I first started working, I think like every other young person starting off on their on their career path, that my first job would be my last. I started working at Goldman Sachs and I was convinced that that was what I would do for, for the rest of my life. Um, it's a pretty common misconception. Statistically, we change career paths around seven times in our lifetime. So when you're 21, you think you've got everything planned out and you quickly realize you don't. Um, in my specific case, I realized I had to make a decision, which was a responsible decision also for the longevity and future of my family's business. I'm the eldest child. My, my, my younger brother is much younger than me and he still hasn't even considered 
working in our in our family business. So the first the first decision I made was made around a sense of responsibility towards what my father had built. My father is the founder of our construction firm in Italy. But then when I moved back to Italy, I realized that I needed my own space. I couldn't just be within uh, somebody else's shadow, especially as I had abandoned the corporate work world, sorry, to take the risk of, of embarking in a much more limited sphere, in a, in a sphere of work which is much riskier as well. Um, and so I decided that I, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it all the way. And, I, and then I founded my own company as well, which is the development firm which I mentioned earlier. And then whilst I was, I was working on our projects, I realized that there was so much space for injecting technology into what we do as construction operators and as real estate operators. And so it just seemed a natural next step to start exploring that side of the business as well. And I have to say that the tech side of things is the, the one that enthuses me the most, even though today I'm more hands-on than ever in the construction firm because we're growing very quickly. As everybody will know, Italy is in the midst of a resurgence driven by construction thanks to all the European Recovery Fund monies. And so we are very well placed to be able to to basically put ourselves at the country's service with all our resources in, in this space. But it's become ever more evident that tech is really the key to the future. And so I'm really excited about being able to explore that side of things as well. So we know what they're doing, but given the risk of starting a new company, when did our guests first feel validated they were on the right track? You you had some small wins along the way. So, you know, the, the smallest win was the day we worked out what we were going to call our company. And then you kind of have the next win is, you know, you see the brand and you see the website and, and all these things, suddenly it becomes real. And those are mini wins. They're, they're, they're skirmishes in this kind of entrepreneurial race whereby you feel today was a good day. We've got something. But the first day that that kind of you realize it's going to work was the day that the first institution backs you. Right. And it says, great, we're going to we're going to basically buy this site and we're going to we're going to pay you to build it. And that's, you know, it's a it's proof of concept at that point that we are able to go and raise capital. We're able to to, you know, someone believe that we're capable of doing this. And, and is going to back us, we know, with their name and brand. And and that for us happened about 12 months in to, to the business. We got our first scheme kind of through planning. Um, it, we got it to, a, to an ability to start on site and we got it funded. And the day it, day it funded is a day that you went, great. Then we've got, you know, we're, we're in business now for three years because we're, you know, we're, we're building this building for three years. We're being funded for three years. And, you know, once we've done one, then then we're going to do more. And that's an incredible moment. That's that's you know that is that is the moment of twelve months you know of hard work where you feel you know you've, you've you've justified what you've been doing, and I guess that's another you know to talk to your point about pitfalls. There's a danger at that point, and and I see this more from having been the banker back in businesses that you can very easily fall back and rest on laurels at that point. You've done it. You've kind of done there. It's hard work. Great. We're done. You know now I can just sit back and relax. And and it's it's like all things in life it's the it's the kind of second chapter it's the hard one you know it's the going again and that you know and how do you keep going again and that's kind of you know, when you talk to like you hear about sports teams and stuff that mentality of you know you win a title how do you start the next season you have to go again and you have to build on that and you have to think about well what is it what's the next challenge that lies ahead and i actually think that's what makes an entrepreneur because i think you know i think most people can succeed once you know, you can put everything at it and you can you can come out and succeed. But 
but it's the ability to go again and go again and go again. And that that's, you know, my mind, if you've got that belief and the willingness to the drive to keep going and, and keep wanting to make it better and tweak it so it's better again, and then that that's naturally then where you want to be because that's, I think, the failing of many corporates. And that comes back to that frustration point that people, you know, they see the business might be a great business, but they can see all these like weak links and these slight bits they would like to amend. And, and if you can change that in your own business, that's a really fulfilling thing because you realize, well, actually, this is the differentiator between what I do and what I was doing. And so I, you know, I think, I think there's a moment you find, which is, which is great. And then once you've done that, it's about, okay, well, we start again tomorrow, right? It's been a great evening. We also celebrate, we've done this. And then we begin again tomorrow. And if you can keep doing that, then I think you know businesses succeed on that basis. I think once we'd launched and once we got our name out there, we spent a lot of time focusing on our branding, how that was perceived by people and how that was perceived by our our customers ultimately. I think that that penny really dropped when we were out on our roadshow in the first six to eight months of launching the business. Um, we were pre-pandemic and it was really for us about getting in front of as many faces um, as possible. Many of these clients that we'd come across previously, many of these contacts that we had dealt with but never acted for, and to sit to sit in, in those big pitch rooms with those, you know, certainly powerful people in terms of the real estate market and specifically focusing on you know some of the biggest landlords across london and to see them really engage with the idea to really you know ask some interesting questions as around to you know the principles that that led us to start the business our engagement with tech and data and how we could bring that into the real estate world and actually not just use tech and data for the sake of using tech and data, but being able to provide some actionable insights from that. Um, I think just, yeah, being in the, in the room with those people and seeing the engagement from them, you know, the nodding heads, that really was a kind of first moment where we thought, you know, we've, we've thought about this long and hard for a number of, of long months. And it was great to see that there was that engagement there and that it wasn't just us thinking about that. And, and that was the way forward. And then as that developed, you know, we had plenty of occupier clients coming and saying, you know, this is the problem that we've got. Can you help us solve it? Um, you know, and that problem was the problem that we always expected to be given. And so for that to come to fruition was really kind of positive for us and definitely made us feel like we'd we'd taken the right step. We'd put the right practices in place. And we'd focused on, you know, a certain number of important aspects on launching. We really wanted to launch what we've coined the kind of next generation of, of office agency. And I think that by by doing that and seeing the engagement from our closest clients, that was really the the moment where we kind of felt that, you know, we were we were on the right path. And I think, you know, the the events of the last two years have have shaken things up enough that as i said before i think we actually had a video that we uh had commissioned for our launch party and it's a very small kind of animation with some text over it and actually we we watched that back now and it actually feels more relevant now than it did when it was commissioned two years ago and i think that for us is a is a really positive 
positive sign you know that not only have has that not gone out of date but actually it's it's probably become more relevant in the in the last two years the risk profile of being an entrepreneur is much higher than that of being a senior executive on the corporate ladder as a senior executive you could risk losing your job you could risk maybe losing a job and not finding another job very quickly but um, you don't risk losing everything. As an entrepreneur, you're putting everything you have on the line every day. Obviously, as your company grows and as you become more and more structured in your, in your, in your business, the risk decreases, but you still have much more at stake. In my specific case, I would say that for me, the, the moment I became truly validated in, the let's say, the investment I made into my changing careers uh, was over the past, I would say, 12 months. Because it's it, it just so happened that when I chose to come back to Italy and I chose to start working with my family business after after my, my, my time at Goldman, Italy went into a massive recession, especially in the construction sector. The credit crunch crisis that, that hit the UK in 08, 09 trickled into the rest of Europe later on, and it hit Italy really hard in 11 and 12, 2011, 2012. So by the time I, I started on this path, we were really being hit by the brunt of the of the of, of the credit crunch financial crisis, and it was very frustrating to see how it was kind of like wrong time, wrong place for a lot of things. And and now finally, it's starting to become right time, right place, just because things are getting ironed out and a lot of really intelligent investment is going into really essential infrastructure, which is what we tend to operate in here in, in, in on the Italian market. And so it's, it's, it's really gratifying to finally be able to say, yes, we're at the right place at the right time. And yes, it's time to build something really big on top of a strong foundation. So all entrepreneurs, I suspect, are probably optimists in some form or another. So they probably have a habit of playing down those pitfalls. And in the interest of a balanced discussion, I ask our guests, what was the greatest challenge they've faced? I think, you know, I kind of come back to the same point. I think at the beginning, it was you move from a very corporate place in a, in a big business like Granger where, you know, there's functions for everything. And that can be a frustration because you have a function for every part of running a business. But you also have a safety net that, you know, you're not necessarily going to make all those decisions and those decisions that you do make, they're not going to 100% affect anything that happens. And you go very quickly into a place where, you know, every decision you make has 100% impact on the business because that is the business. If you spend a whole day working on one thing and that one thing doesn't come off, then you've wasted your day. And I think that that was a challenge at the beginning was, you know, we've got, you know, grand scale thinking on, you know, and I always kind of put it as, you know, we had champagne taste with beer money at the beginning. And, and you've kind of, you've got to very quickly work out where the wins are going to be. What are the short term wins? And then in my mind, that was quickly thinking, how do we, how do we get to the next step without kind of, you know, bankrupting the business, but bringing the right people in? And, and that was that, that period before, you know, the right people started coming in was lonely and I'm not sure it was necessarily a pitfall but it but is lonely and and making those decisions daily is tiring because you 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 know you're constantly having the, in the back of your mind that nagging feeling of I hope that was the right call because if it wasn't that could just set us back two three months but you've also got to have the self-belief to do it and so 
now you've just you've just got to keep driving and the, the worst place to be is is at a standstill and and doing nothing so you know that's the other part for me was always that we've got to keep seeing how we're going to get to that ultimate business plan that is to build a, a you know a business of scale and each day matters in that sense the greatest challenge in the last years is, has uh, i'm sure you won't be surprised to hear this is, has obviously been the impact of of the pandemic it's a word that i think we're all tired of hearing yet you know it's all affected us um business and home life in a in a way that no one really could expect i think as a business owner for the first time you are you know presented with a range of challenges that some i i, I guess i would have expected um even if i'd been working for for another business um you know the the, the market was quiet you know our day-to-day was no longer our day to day and and the environment that we did that in was was different i think as a business owner there are a number of other challenges that that come with that from you know trying to plan forward trying to keep the team motivated you know as a business owner you you can't get away from the fact that, that you have overheads to in order to run the business and so for us it was a real challenge on a number of different fronts and i still to this day i wonder uh, I always wondered if I would rather be a business owner and in control of your own destiny or, you know, perhaps feeling a little more secure working for someone else, but perhaps not being in control of your own destiny. And I thought, you know, a number of times about that question. And I think personally, it's it would always be within my character to to be in control of my own destiny in that regard. And I think that um, that's that's definitely been one of the biggest learning curves has been it's very much you know not only just what you get out what you put in but you know what you have to put in to to really make yourself feel safe in a time like that is um yeah not something that i think anyone would would want when you start a business my <laughs> my business partner started his previous business uh, just before the crash in 07 so um I'll be sure to let you know if he starts a business again, as we we may be headed somewhere <laughs> we don't want to go. But um, yeah, as I said, that was that was definitely the biggest challenge. We were a small team then, but uh, you know I think we'd invested a lot, in time, effort, you know, and capital into the business at that stage. And so, yeah, I, I don't think we'll touch wood ever ever come across a situation situation like that. But I think you know, with the power of hindsight, I think. By, by getting through that time in a way that we did and it, it was a real scrap I'd like to think that as I said we've we've become more relevant and that actually in the long term that period of, of struggle will, will probably help us as as founders and, and us as, as a business in the long term. The greatest challenge for myself is probably what the same as the greatest the same greatest challenge that any other entrepreneur would have which is being your own boss is on the one hand, amazing. And on the other hand, it's the most terrible thing that can possibly happen to anybody. Um, you are your own, you are, you are your worst boss. You never, you never cut yourself any slack. You can't cut yourself any slack and you're never satisfied. So whereas when you work within a structure, there's KPIs, there's targets which you have to reach. And there's also metrics against which you're assessed. You're assessing yourself against your own expectations and that you're always going to come short. So that is that is the biggest challenge. And on the one hand, you shouldn't then kind of switch gears and coddle yourself because if you don't drive yourself, nobody will. But um, you also have to learn to give yourself space 
to grow and to make mistakes because you can't be perfect. There's no way. It's, it's absolutely impossible. So before we wrap up, if listening to this pod has got you excited about the opportunities and the pitfalls of starting your own business in real estate, here's some advice from our guests. As always, thank you very much for listening and please keep your messages of support coming in, particularly if you've got ideas for future guests. My advice to somebody who's considering starting up their own company is to just do it. By which I mean that it'll never be the perfect time. There will always be a better moment. There will always be a better way. And you'll never understand and learn from your mistakes until you make them. So there's no point trying to get a business plan and an idea perfect in silo. If you're working on a spreadsheet for budgeting your, 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 your project, the moment you start acting it out in the real world, you're going to have to go back to the drawing board and change all your plans anyways. So it's not worth wasting time on planning. I mean, you should plan. You should obviously plan and plan very well. But there's no point trying to get every single detail right because you'll have to rework them in the real world anyways. So just go ahead and do it and then fix it as you go along. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.